Well, good morning, Living Hope Columbus family and friends. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this morning. Uh, wherever you find yourself today on the other side of this video, we are so glad you are here. Whether you're live, you're tuning in later, maybe listening to our podcast, we're glad you're here with us today. I want to remind us of this truth that we've been saying for the past eight weeks, but I think it helps just position our hearts where it needs to be, and it's this, that the gospel is resilient, the word of God cannot be stopped, and the local church is alive and well during these trying times. My name is Aaron. I have the privilege and honor of serving as the teaching pastor here at Living Hope Columbus. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. Uh, but before we get to our passage for this morning, uh, a couple weeks ago we sent out a request on social media for what we called the We Miss You video project. And hopefully you were able to see that last week. And we've had more videos that came in throughout this week as well. And really what we had hoped to do with just this brief moment with every service, um, as we've been in Philippians, Philippians just a letter of joy, looking and seeing how to find joy in the various seasons of life. We wanted this little brief moment every Sunday to serve as just a moment of joy for you. As you hear familiar voices and see familiar faces, we just wanted this to be a brief moment of joy for you today that although we're scattered, uh, we're still family. The gospel has not been stopped, although our circumstances have been unique. So let's take a, just a second and let me show you this next video in our We Miss You video project. We, we miss we you, miss loving. You. We miss you. We miss you. We miss you. Say goodbye. Oh, good job. Good goodbye. Job. Mr. Mr. Happy Day. Well, hey, Living Hope. Uh, Kibby's here. Just wanted to say that we miss you. Can't wait to see you again. Hope to get back to church real soon. But until then, we just hope that you have a great day. We'll see you soon. Hey, hey Living, Living Hope. Hope. Thomas and Paige here. We hope you all are staying safe and healthy out there. We miss you all, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Bye. Hey, Living Hope Church Columbus, it's Dan and Jenny Kibbe. We miss you. We miss you, and we hope to see you soon, because I ain't doing it. <laughs> Hi, Living Hope. This is the Taylor family. We miss you. We miss you. What's the Hunley family? Love you guys. Miss you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. We say miss you. Hi, Living Hope Church Columbus. We miss you. We Hi, we miss you. Hi, we'll see you soon. We'll miss you. Well, if there's if there's one thing we've noticed in this church, we got way, way too many cute kids. So uh, if that's one thing we got going for us, it's definitely that. Well, hey, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be camping this morning, starting in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our journey through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi uh, with a message that we're calling this morning a stay-at-home order. I think this is very fitting for the season that we're in as a church, as a season that we're in as a, a culture and as a world even, uh, as we look at this idea of a stay-at-home order. Philippians chapter 1, if you'll stand with me wherever you are, whether you are in your kitchen, in your living room, don't stand if you're in your car, please, that's dangerous. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, God's word says this through Paul. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. 
Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day, God, for this opportunity that we have to worship. Father, I pray that we see it as a blessing, Lord, that we were able another week to sit on our couches in our pajamas with our cups of coffee and a donut and listen to your word and sing praises to you today. Father, I pray that through this message, God, through all of the worship that we're singing this morning, that your church is strengthened and empowered to take the gospel wherever you sovereignly place us this week. Jesus, give us ears to hear your word, hearts to receive it, hands and feet to live it out this week as we chase after Jesus with our entire being. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I've been thinking about this phrase off and on throughout the week, and it's this, that our greatest victories come through our toughest moments. Our greatest victories personally, corporately, often come through our toughest moments. You may have heard these quotes before. I'm going to share with you now one from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Our greatest victories often come through our toughest moments. Oswald Chambers said a similar quote where he phrased it this way, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. The reality remains the same, that our greatest victories were going to come through our toughest moments. But here's the, the key phrase I want to overshadow everything that we discussed this morning here in Philippians chapter 1. It's that perspective is everything. No matter how tough the moment that we may be enduring, perspective is everything in those moments. If you're a note taker, I encourage you in your notebook to write that phrase at the top. Perspective is everything. If you write in your Bible next to Philippians 1 verses 12 through 14, write that phrase. Perspective is everything. That's going to make sense here in just a moment as we journey through this passage. Last week, we exited Paul's prayers for this church in Philippi. We've said over these past few weeks that this was a church that, that Paul loved deeply and he desired to be with them. And in verses 3 through 11, Paul had offered up some very intentional prayers on behalf of this church. He hadn't seen them in years, but he still was hearing of their faith, their love for one another, their love for other people. And Paul desired and longed to go and meet with this church again. Now in verse 12. Paul transitioned this letter from these prayers he was offering up, and he gives us kind of this window, this glimpse into his current circumstances at the time that he wrote this letter. We said a few weeks ago when we started this series that Paul was writing this letter from a Roman jail cell. He was chained to a Roman guard writing this letter to this church in Philippi, but I want to dig a little bit deeper into Paul's circumstances here in which he wrote this letter because it's important for us to understand these three verses in chapter one. If we jump back to the book of Acts, towards the end of the book of Acts, starting in chapter 21, you kind of see the circumstances that led Paul to this moment where he's penning this letter. Paul had planned for quite a long time to ultimately end up in Rome. He wanted to go meet with the Roman Christians and share the gospel there in Rome. To make an incredibly long story short, a lot happens in Acts 21 through chapter 28. But in Acts chapter 21, Paul was in Jerusalem. He went to the temple to share the gospel and really stirred up a whole bunch of people by preaching in the temple, by sharing that Jesus saves and he is the only way of salvation. It was so much so that we see in Acts chapter 23 that this mob had formed around Paul that they had made an oath together. 
that they were not going to eat or drink anything until they had found Paul and they had killed him for preaching the gospel. Talk about a crowd that needs a Snickers bar. There were some divas up in Jerusalem that day. The Bible then says that Paul remained in prison in this area of of Caesarea for, for two years. For two years, he remained in a prison cell because of what had happened there in the temple. And finally, after two years, Paul makes this appeal to Caesar. Paul was a Roman citizen. He wanted to appear before Caesar to actually have his case heard. So the Bible says they took Paul in Acts chapter 27, put him on a prison ship. They set sail. The the ship ended up wrecking on the island of Malta. Paul can't catch a break here. This is kind of a rough, rough thing going on. On the island of Malta, they were received well. Paul gets off of this ship wreckage. He goes to gather some wood to make a fire. Acts chapter 28 says that a viper jumped out of the fire and bit Paul on the hand. Paul shakes the viper off then continues making his s'more. And then three months later, after being on Malta, Paul boards another ship for Rome. And when they arrive in Rome, Paul's then put in jail. This is kind of a pretty rough time for Paul, if you haven't really noticed, towards the end of the book of Acts. Now, here's what's interesting. This jail, and we've said jail cell, and we've used kind of different phrases these past few weeks, wasn't really what we would consider jail, in a sense. This was actually Paul basically being put on house arrest with a Roman guard. Look at Acts chapter 28, verse 16. It says, and this is Paul speaking, he says, uh, when, when we entered Rome, sorry, it's Luke speaking, talking of Paul. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So he arrives in Rome on this prison ship, and then he was put in this house by himself with a Roman soldier. He was quarantined. See how applicable the Bible is? He was quarantined with a Roman guard. I bet that was wonderful. And under this stay at home, this house arrest order, But Paul shows us in these three verses in Philippians 1 that the gospel was still thriving. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It's in this jailed condition. We'll put quotes around the word jail, this stay at home, this quarantine, this house arrest, whatever you want to call it, that Paul actually pens what's known as the prison epistles or the prison letters. The books that we've become familiar with, such as the book of Philippians, the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, the letter to Philemon. They were all written at the end of Acts when Paul finally arrived in Rome and he's put under this stay-at-home order. Now, why is this all significant? Why does this matter? Why is that background important? I'm going to go ahead and go on record this morning and say this, that this was probably not the ideal journey that Paul would have taken to ultimately get to Rome. Paul had desired for a long time to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Actually, it's interesting in Romans chapter 1, verse 10, Paul wrote in the letter to the Romans, he said this, always asking in my prayers that if somehow it is God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul desired to go to Rome for a long time. Some Bible translations, I like this, they'll actually say, um, I wish that I could have a prosperous journey to you, talking to the Romans. Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he had had really prayed. He said, God, give me a prosperous journey so that I can get to those people and share the gospel. But let's be real. The way Paul got to Rome from Acts 21 to Acts 28 was less than ideal and probably the exact opposite of what he had prayed for. What's the point? Sometimes our greatest victories come in our toughest moments. Sometimes when we have a perspective shift, right, because perspective is everything, we see that God was planning something bigger than what we understand in that moment. 
This wasn't Paul's ideal prosperous journey, but God used this for his glory, no matter the circumstance. I want us to see quickly this morning three perspective shifts that I think Paul shows us in three verses here, verses 12, 13, and 14, that really tie in to our current cultural situation. All right, let's look at these real quick. The first one is, Paul shows us in verse 12, a shift in thought. A shift in thought. Look at verse 12 again. Paul says, as he's writing to this church in Philippi, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. I wanted a prosperous journey to Rome, Romans chapter 1, verse 10. I would imagine that most of the other Christians that knew of Paul's journeys, his missionary journeys, were praying that Paul could have a prosperous journey to Rome. They wanted his ministry to prosper. But for the last two years and three months, things were going the exact opposite as Paul would have planned. And as he's writing to this church here in verse 12, telling them, uh, here's the update on my condition. Here's what's going on in my life. You've prayed for me for so long. And here's what he tells them. I'm chained up, but it's good. I'm on house arrest, but it's good. I'm stuck at home. It's good. I'm locked up, but it's good. I've been jailed, I've been shipwrecked, I've been bitten by a snake, I've been falsely accused of things that I never actually did, I've been chased by mobs of people, but I still have this joy in me, and things are, are good. How's he do that? Now, perspective is everything. Because Paul tells us here in verse 12, I want you to know that what has happened to me, it's actually advanced the gospel. This isn't what I would have planned, but it actually advanced the gospel. So I'm good. Perspective is everything. Friends, listen to this. If our God is sovereign over all things, that means that nothing happens outside of God's control. There will be things that happen in my life that maybe happen to me, situations that do not make sense. But I still have to choose to trust him. Even if I don't understand what he's doing and why he is doing it, as a Jesus follower, I choose to trust him. Think of it this way. This past week, I was doing some projects here around the church, and I'm kind of clumsy, so I ended up getting a splinter. Now, here's what's interesting. It wasn't because I was building something. It was because I leaned up against a wall. Judge me, all right? I got a splinter leaning on a wall. Anyways, I got a splinter in my hand, so I got home later that evening, big splinter in the side of my hand, and I had to go home, and I found my wife's tweezers, and she gave them to me, and I began to try to take this, this splinter out of my hand. Now, here's the thing about splinters. No matter how small or microscopic those goofy things are, they hurt when you take them out. If you've ever had to take tweezers and dig a splinter out of your hand, it hurts. And when I was at home doing that, I was thinking back to the time, I think my oldest daughter was maybe four or five. One of the first times she ever got a splinter. And I remember her coming into the house and she knew something was stuck in her hand and it, it hurt a little bit. And so we went and got the tweezers and we began on this little four or five-year-old girl to try to pull that splinter out from underneath her skin. Here was the problem. It hurts. And my little four or five-year-old girl, here's what she was doing. She started crying. She began to run away from us because it was hurting her as we were trying to take that splinter out of her hand. She didn't want us to do that because it was painful. The process was painful. But here's the truth. If we didn't take it out, it could have got infected. So the pain was part of the journey to removing the splinter. 
And here's what my, my daughter knew at that time. She still knows it to this day. There's three things that are true. I love her with my entire being. I care for her more than anybody else in the world. And I would do anything for her. And even though there was pain involved in the process, those, things, those three things were still absolutely true, even if she didn't feel it in that moment. I'm sure she started to question if I really cared for her. How could I love her if I was putting her through pain and removing that splinter? I, I could say I cared for her. I could say I love her. I could say I'd do anything for her. But the pain in the moment seemed to overshadow the reality of those things. But I had to constantly remind her that that was true. Therefore, pain was part of the process to get us to the destination where we were going to remove that splinter. Friends, I don't mean to be too simplistic this morning, but hear me. Let me remind you, God loves you. God cares for you so, so much. And Jesus would do anything and everything for you. He proved that to us on the cross, John 3, 16. And there's going to be seasons of life where those three things just don't seem true. They don't feel true. But on the authority of God's word, we know they are true. And Paul teaches us here in verse 12 that we need to recalibrate our minds, Romans 12, 1, back to Jesus in painful seasons and remind ourselves God's still working. Even if it's painful, God's still working. Paul said it so clearly, what has happened to me, don't miss that word, has actually advanced the gospel. Paul says, despite the walls in front of us, despite the circumstances around us, things don't make sense, but Jesus used it to advance the gospel. Can you imagine what this church in Philippi was thinking when they first heard that Paul was in prison in Rome? They were probably thinking things like this. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. That's not what we prayed for. How's the gospel going to get out in Rome now? Paul's locked up. They're infringing on Paul's rights. He's a Roman citizen. How dare they lock him up? They shouldn't be allowed to do that. Does that sound pretty familiar to some of the things many of us have said over the past 14 days? I know I've asked similar questions in my life personally. How could they do this to us? The gospel's going to be stopped. They're infringing on my rights as an American. And Paul reminds us here, nah, actually, what has happened has advanced the gospel. Paul says, you see, we thought that this was going to cripple the mission of God. It actually advanced it. What the devil intended as an obstacle, God used as an opportunity for the mission to get creative. We're going to see later that when Paul was on house arrest, the Romans missed something. They were still allowing people to come see Paul, so Paul would make a disciple and then send them out. He started a mission training camp under house arrest and sent people all over the Roman nation. The devil thought it was an obstacle. God used it for an opportunity. I read something a couple weeks ago that said, uh, nine weeks ago, that the devil thought he closed every church in America with gatherings being limited where everybody had to close their doors. Instead, Jesus opened a church in every home in our nation. Friends, think about it this way. When we closed Living Hope Columbus nine weeks ago this Sunday, we went from one site to 50 sites in three days. Talk about church growth, my goodness. Jesus used what was an obstacle for an opportunity. That's perspective. Somebody needs to move their coffee table right now and take a lap around your living room, man. That's good stuff right there. What the devil meant for evil, God used for good. The mission won't be stopped if we won't let it. 
I was told by our media guy this week or so ago, 10 days ago, we now have sites not only in, in Ohio, we got sites now in South Dakota, we got sites of Living Hope Columbus up and down in Florida, we even have a site now in Michigan, even Michigan. We love you guys, kind of, all right, we're glad you're here this morning. We got sites all over the place. The devil thought he'd stop us and all that happened was he multiplied us. I'm telling you, man, if I wasn't at church this morning, I'd be kicking over my end table or something. This is amazing. What was intended for evil, God used for good. Perspective is everything. How do we view pain and trials and turmoil in our life? Are they obstacles or are they opportunity for Jesus to be made famous? Because he will waste nothing if we allow him to use us. Here's the second shift that Paul gives us. This is my favorite, my goodness. Verse 13, we talk about a shift outside the church. Verse 13 says this, so that, the, so that it has become known, he's talking about the gospel, throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul makes it clear for us here in verse 13 that the, re, the reason that he was imprisoned, the reason he was on this stay-at-home order, this house arrest, is because he was a Christian. What, is it, what does he say there, verse 13, the second half? My imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. They didn't have any accusations to bring against Paul. It was simply, you're a Jesus follower, and we don't like this. But Paul shows us here in verse 13 how God used his current condition to advance the gospel with those outside of the church. Listen to this. Don't think that just because you've been stuck at home for nine weeks that your gospel influence has been limited. Perspective is everything. Think about this for just a moment. I've been processing these in my mind. Every day you still have a neighbor on both sides of you who you can visit from six feet away. Praise Jesus, right? Every day, six days a week, the mailman, guess where he's going to come? Your house. It's his job. He's going to be there. Every, every two days, the Amazon Prime guy can show up at your house. You ever thought about that? Praise Jesus for Amazon Prime. We are so grateful for that. You just order yourself a box of chocolates and he'll show up every other day, right? Your gospel influence doesn't have to be limited. You probably have family members that you live with. Your gospel influence doesn't have to be limited. Because of the invention of the cell phone and the internet, you have access to the entire world through social media now. Your gospel influence does not have to be limited just because you are stuck at home. Look at how, how Jesus used Paul in this less than ideal circumstance. Y'all, this is good. Watch this. We said in Acts 28 verse 16 that we saw when Paul went on this house arrest, when he was jailed here in Rome, that he was chained to a Roman guard. Now, historically, what we understand would happen is that Paul would have been chained to this guard 24 hours a day. Typically, Roman guards worked six-hour shifts, so Paul would be chained to four different Roman guards every day. One would come in for six hours, then they'd trade off, trade off, trade off. Four different guards every single day. You know what Paul was doing? He was being intentional with that opportunity. He was stuck at home, but the reality was that there was a guard stuck with him. When Paul slept... When Paul wrote these letters, when he prayed, when he walked around the house, yes, even when Paul went to the bathroom, there would have been a guard chained to him. No privacy for Paul under this stay-at-home order. This is my Mother's Day plug. Some of you moms are probably thinking, that sounds like my life. <laughs> no privacy ever. You're welcome. Happy Mother's Day. Glad you're here. We hear that and we think about this and we're thinking, Paul, that sounds terrible. 
That would be horrible to have this giant Roman guard chained to you every single day with everything that you're doing. We have the wrong perspective. We view it this way. Paul was chained to a guard, therefore he was limited. Paul viewed it this way. There's a guard chained to me, therefore it's an opportunity. You see the difference? There was a guard chained to Paul. Watch this. Paul had desired for years to go to Rome and preach the gospel. But when he got there finally, less than ideal circumstances, he ended up imprisoned. So what did God do? I'm going to get excited here in a second. God brought the Romans to Paul. If Paul couldn't get to them, God brought them to him. Not only that, God made sure that the Romans were chained to Paul. That meant every time Paul would pray, the guard was with him. Every time Paul wrote a letter, the guard was with him. Every time Paul took a walk, the guard was with him. In everything, Paul had a captive audience to share the gospel with these guards. And what was he doing? He was evangelizing them, and then he was training them to be disciples of Jesus. Acts 28, verse 31. Look at this. Look at what Paul says about this situation. He says he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, And then look at this last part, and without hindrance. Paul said, my obstacle actually became my opportunity that Jesus used to advance his kingdom. What do you think happened to those guards when they met Jesus because they were chained to Paul? They went and told somebody else. Paul was simply training missionaries there under house arrest. He may have been stuck, but the guards would go back to their homes. They would go back to their ranks. They would go back to the palace. And what did they take with them? Jesus. I read one pastor this week. Let's apply this idea for just a second. He asked this question. Who's in your proximity every day that you can't escape? I thought about that. Who's in your proximity every day that you can't escape? That's a divine, sovereignly placed opportunity in your life. Whoever that is. Maybe it's the person who sits one cubicle over from you at the office and you've worked together for years. Divine opportunity. You're chained together. Maybe maybe it's the the, the person that stands next to you in the assembly line at the factory and you've worked together for a long time. Divine opportunity. You're chained together. You're going to be together all the time. Maybe, maybe it's the mailman who comes to your house every day at the same time with mail for your family. Divine opportunity, sovereignly placed there by God. Friends, maybe it's this. Maybe it's the children that God has placed in your home for you to love and care for every single day. Divine opportunity, sovereignly placed there by God for you to minister the gospel to them. You Remember what Andy Stanley said years ago? We've shared this before. Hey, parents, maybe your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God is not going to be something that you do, but it's going to end up being somebody that you raise. Don't neglect the divine gospel opportunities that God has placed before you. If God is sovereign, and he is, that means he's placed you and precisely positioned you wherever you are under this current stay-at-home season to make a gospel impact, even if it doesn't feel like it. And check this out. This is the best When Paul closes this letter to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 22, I've never seen this until this week. This blew my mind. Look at this. He's kind of putting that final greeting out to this church, and he writes these words. All the saints send you greetings, especially those 
who belonged to Caesar's household. Think about it for a second. Who were the ones that belonged to Caesar's household? Those guards that got saved because they were chained to Paul. He closes this letter and Paul says, almost kind of like sarcastically to the church in Philippi, hey y'all, you've been praying for me and what happened to me actually advanced the gospel. I just want you to know, all the brothers and sisters here in Rome, they say hi. Oh, by the way, especially the guards that have gotten saved because they were chained to me. If y'all were here, I'd hear an amen right now. I'm telling you, that's good stuff. Here's the third shift that we see. We see a shift that takes place inside the church. Look at verse 14. Paul says this, Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment, and they dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. I love that, fearlessly. Paul's imprisoned, yet he has joy. He's chained up, yet he's sharing the gospel with those chained to him. And he keeps going. He says, God has used this to an even greater degree that the church has been strengthened. So much so that Christians are now fearlessly speaking the gospel in Rome. They're speaking fearlessly for the very reason that Paul was placed in prison. Here's a principle that I've been chewing on these past couple weeks. And I wrote this in my journal. It's this. Sometimes people need you to take the first step so they can stand in your shadow. Write that one down. Sometimes people need you to take the first step so that they can stand in your shadow. Sometimes people need you to knock down the trail for them so they can walk behind you. Acts chapter 28 verse 23 says that Paul stayed in this house under house arrest for two whole years. People would come and visit Paul all the time, Christian and non-Christian alike. And Paul would share the gospel with them and then he would send them out and share the gospel and send them out. Divine opportunity, sovereign placement. Paul was stuck there for two years. Friends, we're only nine weeks into being stuck at our houses. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit restless. But Paul shows me I could be stuck for two years and God could still advance the gospel through me. He was willing to be an example of not letting obstacles stop him, but taking advantage of everything as an opportunity. And what was that? An encouragement to the church. Friends, whether we're stuck in our houses or where we're out in the community, it doesn't matter. The truth still remains that Jesus saves. God is good. Yeah, life can be hard, but we can still have joy because of Jesus. Our mission never changes no matter where we go. It's to make the name of Jesus famous in the entire world. The message doesn't change, although our methods sometimes have to adapt and get creative. That's who we are. We are Jesus followers sent into a dark world to bring the light and the hope of, God, of the gospel. That's it. That's who we are. That's what we do. Now, let's address the elephant in the room real quick. The elephant in the church, the elephant in your living room. Man, I've been praying about this so much in my life personally this week. If we're honest for a second, I think the church, I'm talking big C church. I'm not talking just us specifically. I'm talking church nationally and globally. I'm talking to me personally. I think the big church has gotten distracted from our mission over the last three weeks. Our mission is to make the name of Jesus known and famous around the world. I think the last three weeks we've walked away from our mission for a season because we're restless in our current situation. 
Listen to me. I've been looking in a mirror on this all week, letting the word of God do a work in my heart because I have seen this happen in my life personally. I know in my life personally, especially over the past 14 to 21 days, I've got distracted from my mission. Nine weeks ago when they shut us down, I was gung-ho. I was trying to figure out any way and every way to share the gospel with anybody and everybody who would happen to listen to my voice. I didn't care who you were, where you were. I didn't care care anything. I just wanted to make sure people knew Jesus and the gospel was not going to be stopped. But I know in my life personally over these last three weeks that I'm starting to get restless being stuck at home. Let's be honest here for a second. I'm getting caught up in way too many theories about what's going on in our nation and our world right now with all this virus stuff that's going on. I've run down way too many rabbit holes on YouTube watching videos from random people who claim that they're credible, but Lord knows if they are. I've read way too many blogs right now, and I'm going to be real with you. I've even said those phrases that the Philippians were probably thinking of. They're suppressing my rights as an American. How dare they? Pastor Joe, I guess we're going to go here this morning. My goodness. i got nothing better to do, I guess. Friends, I'm not arguing whether or not those things are true. They very well may be. I have no idea. But the legitimacy of those things is completely irrelevant when we come here to Philippians chapter 1. You have the freedom as an American to believe whatever you want and you fight for what you believe in. That's the right that we have under the United States Constitution to believe those things. But hear me. Pastor Joe, I might not have a job tomorrow. It's distracted us from our mission. Can we, can, we, can we let that truth soak over us today? It has distracted us from our mission because before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Before I'm allegiant to this nation, I'm allegiant to Jesus. First and foremost, that's it. That's who we are. We make Jesus famous. America's my temporary home. Heaven's my eternal one. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, nobody serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, instead wants to serve the master in all things. That's our mandate and that is our mission. My mission is Jesus. Friends, if they take away every right that we have in this nation, guess what's not going to change? I'm still a Christian with a mission to take Jesus to the whole world, to anybody and everybody that will listen to me. My mission doesn't change, although my methods may have to adapt. And if I'm locked in my home and i got to preach to a camera for another 45 weeks, so be it. If I'm locked in my home and the only place I can preach to Jesus is in the bread aisle at Walmart, let's roll. I'll meet you there. I don't care where it's got to happen. We got to do whatever it takes to get the message of Jesus to anybody and everybody that will listen. Eight weeks ago, man, I, I was rooting and tooting what Paul was saying here in verse 12. What has happened to me has advanced the gospel. But now I feel like the Philippians who were probably saying, How dare they lock me up? How dare they keep me at home? How dare they do this? Can I tell you something this morning? Let's recalibrate to the mission and get on board here with verse 14 and speak the gospel fearlessly again. I'll go ahead and step off my soapbox real quick. My goodness. If that offended you or upset you, you can email me, joe at livinghopecolumbus.com, and we'll get you taken care of. Friends, let's set the example in this world of Christians who are not caught up in civilian affairs. They matter, but they're not the main thing. Let's take a step out in boldness and fearlessness and pave the way for other Christians to follow behind us and say, Jesus is more important. 
I'm going to do whatever it takes. No matter what's going on around me, I'm going to do whatever it takes to take the message to the whole world. We said in the beginning, our greatest victories often come in our toughest moments. You know, in just a few moments as our praise team makes their way up here, we're actually going to be sharing here in just a minute our regathering plan. Because sovereignly, God over the past week or so has opened doors of opportunity for us to begin to gather physically again. Praise Jesus. But if he didn't do that, praise Jesus. We will not be stopped. If we have to meet in the card section at Walmart and disperse out through the store with the intent of sharing the gospel with people every Sunday morning at 1015, I'll meet you there. The gospel won't be stopped. If the internet gets shut down tomorrow, we will not be stopped. I'll knock on your door with Pastor Joe. We'll preach a sermon in your front yard. We will not be stopped. But God's opened a door for us. We're going to step through it. Friends, think about this for just a minute. I'm done. Maybe, just maybe, maybe God's using these last nine weeks to disassemble our current mindsets and our current dependencies as the big C church in our world to draw us back to dependency upon Jesus. Maybe, maybe he's taken away uh, the shiny things and the lights and all the colorful stuff that we become dependent upon as the big C church. And he says, what if Jesus was just enough for you? What if you just had to be dependent upon him and all the other stuff was gone? Maybe, maybe Jesus is trying to see how much we really do trust him. I've said it now for, what, 17 years since I've been a Christian that I trust Jesus. But that's really been tested and tried over the last nine weeks. Do I really trust him? Maybe, maybe Jesus is seeing how serious we are about the mission to make his name known to the whole world by taking away every avenue that we had and seeing what we'll do with the gospel during this time. Maybe. Living Hope, I love you, and I hope you know that. God's not done with us. Our best days are ahead of us. Jesus' name is going to be made famous, and we're going to get after it. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're so good to us. You're so kind. Father, I pray. God, sometimes, Lord, your word truly does feel like that two-edged sword that sometimes cuts deep. Father, I know it's done that in my heart this week. We also see in the scriptures that you're a healer. We see in Psalm 23 where you pour oil over our heads as a healing balm to us. Your spirit in John 14 is described as the comforter. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says that you're the God of all peace. All of those things are true, Jesus. And so even when your word cuts us, Lord, we also know that you graciously wrap yourself around us and say, all right, 1 John 1, 9, let's repent. Let's turn back to the mission. Let's leave the past behind us and let's blaze the trail ahead of us passionately, intentionally, deliberately focused on the mission of Jesus. That's what we're about. Father, I pray this morning as your word promises that it would not return void, but it would call your people to action, Jesus, that it would move us from our feet, Lord, into what every area of divine opportunity you have put before us, Jesus. You're not done with your church. Recalibrate us to the mission, Father. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's sing together.